Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed us to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is God's word. Well, good morning. We've got the, uh, the kids with us today. Kids, good morning. Where are you? Just wave. Normally we do a children's blessing, kids, but today you get an entire sermon of blessing. So this is your lucky day today. Uh, but we're happy to have the kids with us. Occasionally we take, uh, we take Sundays for family worship because we want our kids to grow into understanding uh, what happens in here as well. So we're happy to have them with us. We're continuing on in our sermon series the book of Hebrews, steady on finding strength in the book of Hebrews. But today's focus is not so much about finding strength as it is about finding rest. This is very much in keeping with the theme of Hebrews, very much in keeping with the theme that we've just read about in our passage in chapter 4 uh, this morning. Because we're going to see from our text this morning that the, the whole point of steadying on, of continuing on in the journey is to get to a place of rest. Rest is the goal of the journey. But it's hard work trying to find rest. Have you noticed that? It can be hard to find rest. If you're a new parent, especially a new mom, just finding some good old-fashioned physical rest would be like finding a pot of gold. I've talked to some new moms recently. But for many of us, it's not a lack of physical rest that we find so elusive, but it's a lack of spiritual or emotional or psychological rest. We run from one thing to the next, 
never quite sure of ourselves, never quite sure that we're doing the right thing, sometimes absolutely certain that we haven't done the right thing, plagued by self-doubt, full of guilt, full of regret for the past, anxiety for the present, doubt for the future. We have upset stomachs, tension, headaches, irregular heartbeats, nervous twitches, irritability, depression, all of these signs in our body that we're not at rest in our soul. For many of us, we've lived our entire lives in this state that we, we don't even really realize how rest-starved we are. Now, there are, of course, some of those happy-go-lucky types who never seem to have a care in the world and who the rest of us find entirely annoying. <laughs> but for many of us, moments of true rest can be hard to come by. So today's passage is about entering into rest. Not just any kind of rest, not rest as the world gives, but God's eternal rest, the true and abiding rest. So I want to do two things to answer two questions from today's passage. First, what does it mean to enter into God's rest? The author is exhorting his readers here to enter into God's rest. What does that mean, really, to enter into God's rest? And then the second thing is, how do we enter into God's rest? So what does it mean to enter into God's rest? What is God's rest? And second, how do we enter into it? All right, so the, uh, the author here in Hebrews 4, 1 through 13, which has been read for us, is continuing on in the same uh, train of thought that he began in chapter 3. And so I want to just get a bit of a running start uh, to remind ourselves of where we've been in chapter 3, because this idea of rest actually is introduced in chapter 3. We didn't drill down on it. Uh, uh, last week, but it's introduced in chapter 3. But the author has uh, been talking, he's written uh, to Jews who have converted to faith in Jesus. They're thinking about going back to their old way of life in Judaism to escape persecution that has come. The author is encouraging them to stick it out, and he's highlighted different advantages that Jesus gives them over their old way of life. But then in chapter 3, he begins to warn them about what will happen if they fall away. And that was the focus of last week's sermon. The warning passage actually continues on then through chapter 4. Uh, we're not going to focus as much on the nature of the warning, but, but the logic is still at work here. The author is positioned the Jewish uh, audience that he's writing to. He's, re he's recounted in chapter 3 that Israelites journey out of the land of Egypt into the land of promise. But many, as you might recall, they fell away on the way to the journey to the land of promise. And just as the Israelites started the journey of faith but didn't finish, and so came under God's judgment, so too these readers of Hebrews, this epistle that we're studying, have started the journey of faith but are now in danger of not finishing it. And so essentially the author is saying to his readers, don't let what happened to rebellious Israel happen to you. All right, so now the author is going to, he's warning them about, about uh, what happens if they fall away, but now he's going to hold out this idea of this vision of rest that should motivate them as they continue on in the journey of faith. So let's see if we can figure out what this idea of rest is about. So our first question, what does it mean to enter into God's rest? All right, so the first time we see this idea of rest in Hebrews actually is in 3.11. The Lord swears to the disobedient nation of Israel, they shall not enter my rest. 
And then we read uh, further down uh, here into uh, verse 18 of chapter 3, and to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient. So rest is something, it's, it's something that God wants to give. What is this rest that has been talked about here at the end of chapter 3, also in verse 4? We see rest kind of tied to a number of historical instances uh, in the uh, redemptive narrative of the nation of Israel. We see rest is equivalent to entering the promised land. That's what's been happening here in chapter 3. To fall short of entering God's rest is to fail to reach the promised land. So somehow rest and the promised land go together. The, then the author talks in uh, verse 3 about how the Lord has rested from his works. And he refers to the six days of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And then at the end of six days, on the seventh day, the Lord rested from his work. There's this day of rest. And then he mentions also uh, in verse 9 here that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The Sabbath was a fixture of the Jewish tradition. So this concept of rest is being used in different uh, historical instances with the days of creation, with Joshua entering the promised land, with the Sabbath rest observed by the nation of Israel. And it's not as though these are different kinds of rest. There's the same rest, but they're being met in different ways. To help us understand the Bible's concept of rest, I think it's going to be most helpful to look back to this Sabbath rest that the author talks about in verse 9. There remains a Sabbath rest. What does he mean by that, that there remains a Sabbath rest? The very first instance of the Sabbath occurs in Exodus 16. So let me take just a moment to recount uh, Exodus 16 to kind of orient us to this idea of a Sabbath rest, the very first Sabbath rest that we see in the Bible. The Israelites, following this narrative of them coming out of the land of Egypt, escaping from slavery, and they're making their way through the wilderness towards the promised land. So they haven't yet rebelled to the point that they've been sent back into the wilderness to wander around until they're dead. So this is before that's happened. Right? And they are on their way towards the promised land. Things are still uh, looking okay. And God is going to provide for them in the wilderness. He's going to provide for them manna from heaven. He's going to provide bread from heaven to meet their needs. And so uh, every morning when the Israelites come out, they see on the ground manna. And they gather it up and and uh, they use it for their main sustenance throughout their wandering in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. But the Lord says, I'm going to provide this manna six days. On the seventh day, there will be no manna. Don't go out looking for it. The seventh day is a Sabbath rest. It's a day of rest. I will provide for you on the sixth day enough manna for two days. Collect what you need on the sixth day for the sixth day and the seventh day. The seventh day, there will be no manna. You are to rest on the seventh day. And then this manna will begin again then on, the, on not the first day of the week, but then the second day of the week. All right, so the very first time that this happens, that the Lord institutes this Sabbath rest on the seventh day, on the seventh day, the Israelites, many of them get up and they go out to collect manna. And the Lord sends a rebuke to Moses to rebuke the Israelites, saying, tell them to not work on the Sabbath day. They're to rest and to not do anything on the Sabbath day. 
The word Sabbath literally means cease from work. I'm going to come back to Exodus 16 in a moment, but here's where we need to be careful not to let our culture's concept of rest cloud our understanding of what's going on in Exodus 16 and then consequently what's going on in our passage today. For most of us, following our culture, our idea of resting or ceasing from work has to do fundamentally with recharging our batteries. That's how we think about rest, right? The way that we think about the weekend, which is maybe the closest equivalent we can think of to a Sabbath rest in our culture, it's, it's a time to step away from the grind of work for some R&R, some rest and relaxation, and to recharge our batteries, and we rest so that we can regather our strength to get back to work. But that's actually almost the exact opposite idea of the Bible's notion of Sabbath rest. The reason for taking a Sabbath rest is not so that we can more effectively supply our own needs, which is how we think about it in our culture. But the reason for taking a Sabbath rest is an occasion to remind ourselves that God is the one who supplies all of our needs. The Israelites were told to cease working for a day, or later on as the law gets more developed, to even take an entire Sabbath year of letting the ground lie fallow. So every seventh year, they would actually cease working or laboring for an entire season. In order to help them remember that God was the one who supplied their every need and that his finished work was sufficient. Indeed, the reasons the Israelites in the wilderness were tempted not to rest on the Sabbath, why they went back out on that seventh day after they were told not to do it, because it was because they felt a keen pressure to supply for themselves their basic needs. They're out in the wilderness. There's not an abundant supply of food. They feel the pressure of their vulnerability in the world. They know they need to get something to eat. And so they feel a burden to supply their own needs. And, the, and the, the temptation to go out and work rather than rest was too great for many of them. To forego a day of work was to forego a day of providing for themselves. Thus the Sabbath, in its original context, was more than just a day of R&R. This wasn't just God saying, hey, you guys are working so hard, tramping around in the wilderness. It's hard work. Everybody needs a break now and then. So you just need to take a day just to relax, put your feet up, you know, maybe sing some hymns or something, and then you get right back at it on Monday. No, that's not the logic of the Sabbath. It was more even than just a day for worship. Rest and relaxation, it's important. We need, as creatures, we do need rest and relaxation, just physical rest. And we do need to come together in worship. Those things are important. But the Sabbath rest was not for that. The Sabbath rest was a weekly, tangible reminder to the Israelites that their provision came from God, not themselves. So if we misunderstand the Bible's concept of rest to mean only something like this, Take time to regather your strength so you can keep supplying all your own needs, which is pretty much how we think about rest in our culture. Then we're going to miss the point entirely of the Bible's notion of rest. All right, so then what does it mean then to enter into God's rest? To enter into God's rest means trusting in, trusting in the fact that God has, is, and will supply all of our needs. 
Not only our needs in this life, but also in the life to come. Entering God's rest is coming to terms with the comforting and freeing truth that God's work is sufficient, that it doesn't all depend on us, that the mistakes of our past, the cares of the present, and the worries of the future are all met in God's provision. It means that we don't have to wash the guilty blood off of our own hands. We don't have to supply our every need. We don't have to live up to our own impossible expectations or the expectations of everyone else. It means that we are free from having to be fundamentally our own God. The Israelites come out of the land of Egypt. They're going through the wilderness. They are creatures in need of God's provision. And the Sabbath rest is a reminder to the Israelites that they are creatures who depend upon their creator, that they are children who depend upon their father, that he is the one that supplies all of their needs. It wasn't a a, a time to, to, to regather their strength so that they could continue to rely upon themselves, but rather it was foregoing work to remind themselves that ultimately what they depended upon was God's work, that he was God and they were not. Entering God's rest means that God is with us on the way no matter how hard it gets and that he is working out his good purposes in our life. Entering God's rest is like diving into a pool of infinite resources. So where do you need to enter into God's rest this morning? As you think about your life, Perhaps it's my whole life I need to enter into God's rest. But maybe there's certain areas of your life where you are striving faithlessly, where you need to enter into the comfort of God's rest. Where in your life do you need to quit thinking that everything depends on you? Where in your life are you scurrying around like a crazy person driven by a sense of fear that if you don't care for yourself, no one will? Where do you need to trust that God will supply all of your needs? Is there an area in your life where you are laboring in a way that betrays your stated confidence in the Lord? You'll know that area because that's the area that causes anxiety, causes stress. It keeps you up at night. It's the area of your life that gives you the pit in the bottom of your stomach. Perhaps it's when it comes to parenting or your marriage or your employment, maybe your own sanctification and growth in holiness in the Lord. You labor at these things as we necessarily must. I mean, we all need to labor. The Israelites had to wander through the wilderness. They weren't just carried there on a cloud to the promised land. They had to walk. We have to labor, but, but we labor at times in ways that forget that the success of our labors doesn't ultimately depend upon us. Perhaps this morning in some area of your life, you are laying brick upon brick, but you've forgotten that unless the Lord builds in and through you, you are building in vain. If that's you this morning, let me just suggest some steps that you can take to consciously enter into God's rest. Some situation in your life that is 
consuming you and you need to enter into God's rest in that situation, first step I would say is take a step back from the situation. Take a step back from the situation. Just take a step away. Stop trying to manhandle the thing. Maybe that literally means if it's related to work, it means taking a day off. Maybe it means taking a day off of parenting. Can you do that? I don't know. Can you <laughs> tell your spouse, I need a day off and take a day off of parenting? But take a day off, but use the time away for some biblical R&R. Okay, because the culture's R&R is rest and relaxation, but the biblical R&R is reminding and reconnecting. Reminding ourselves that God is the one that supplies our needs. Reconnecting with the truth of God's word. So take a step back from the situation. Find a way to put some distance between you and that thing you feel like you just need to manhandle and figure out. Take a step back. And then take a step forward towards God. Take a step towards God at the same time that you're taking a step back and remind yourself of God's promises to you. God has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. He has promised to be with you all times. He has promised that not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of the Father. And he's promised that you are worth more than any sparrow. He's promised that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So remind yourself and reconnect back into the promises of God and the provisions of God. So take a step back from the situation. Take a step forward towards God. Take a helping hand from the family. God ministers to us ultimately through Christ, and Christ ministers to us through his body, and his body is the church, the family of God. And it could be that you find yourself in a place where you need God's provision in your life, and God's provision will come to you through the family of God. And trying to live in isolation, or trying to live on your own, or trying to live on your own in relationship to God isn't going to work. You're going to need to receive God's provision through the family of God. So maybe it means making your need known. It means making your situation known to the family of God so that the family of God can step in and help and be the provision of God that God supplies, the rest that God supplies. So take a step back, take a step forward, take a helping hand. Of course, the ultimate rest that God provides, he provides at the end of the journey. Right? The Israelites are wandering through the wilderness and God is providing rest, as it were, occasions of rest, regular drips of rest throughout the wilderness wandering. But where they're really trying to get to is to the ultimate rest of the promised land. That's the rest that they're in danger of falling short of. If they don't lay hold of God's rest in the present, on the journey, and they fall away, they lose not only God's rest in the present, but they lose God's rest at the end. We find ourselves in a similar situation. In the same way that God gave rest along the way so that they could, by that rest, enter into lasting rest, God provides for us during our sojourn in this life rest along the way. But our ultimate rest will be found in the kingdom to come when God at last meets every need and wipes away 
every tear. And it's because our eternal rest waits for us in the future, in the kingdom of heaven, that we need to keep pressing forward, steady on in our journey of faith. Which then leads to our second question. How do we enter? What, what, what does it mean to enter into God's rest? It means to rest in the provision that God provides. How do we enter into God's rest? In many respects, this question is answered when we come to understand what rest is. We enter into God's rest by faith. Because entering God's rest is nothing other than believing, trusting that God is supplying all of our needs. So the author says in verses 2 and 3 in our passage here, he says, of those uh, who didn't enter into God's rest, right? Maybe we'll start with verse 1. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, he's going to say why it is that the Israelites who started off well failed to reach God's rest. For the good news came to us just as to them. We both received the good news. But the message that they heard did not benefit them. Why? Why did the message of entering into God's rest not benefit them? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. So God's rest is held out to us, and the author is saying we enter into that rest through faith. Faith, it's important to remember, especially here in the book of Hebrews, is not merely backward looking. Sometimes I think we can think of faith like this. I have faith in Jesus. I have faith in God. What What do we mean when we say that? I think sometimes what we mean by we say that is we, I have faith in Jesus that he died on the cross and rose again, that my sins are forgiven. But that's all in the rearview mirror. I mean, that's true. We do have faith about the promises of God or the things of God that are behind us. But faith fundamentally, and especially in the book of Hebrews, looks forward to the promises of God. It doesn't so much have a backward-looking element as much as it has a future-oriented reality. Faith is choosing to believe that God will make good on his word. Faith isn't just believing instances of history. It's believing that the living, active Christ who rose from the dead 2,000 years ago has made promises to us, and it's believing those promises and pressing on to lay hold of them. Hebrews eleven six that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. It's, it's a belief and a confidence in the promises of God that wait out in front of us. This is why faith and obedience are so closely tied together throughout the Bible, and especially in the book of Hebrews. If I believe that God will make good on his promises, then I will ultimately, obediently follow his will. If I don't believe God will make good on his promises, then I will disobediently not follow his will. So a number of weeks ago, I got this amazing email. And uh, apparently, there was a a lady in Nigeria whose husband had died. And uh, he he was worth millions and, but unfortunately for her, it was in a U.S. bank account, and she didn't have access to it. And she had found me, of all people, and had read my profile online, and I seemed like a, a good, decent human being. And she wanted to partner with me 
to get access to this money. And I thought, what a wonderful opportunity uh, that this is. And she was going to give me like half of it. It was like $2 million, you know, it was fantastic. And I just needed to send things like my bank account number to wire, I mean, it was, all right, you've all received an email like that, right? There's a promise of reward, but why do you not respond to it? Or I hope you don't respond to it. Why do you not respond to it? Because you don't believe the person making the promise. You don't believe that there actually is a reward at the end of all the work that you're going to be asked to do. That's what faith is. Faith is believing that what is being said to you is true and that if you do what's being asked of you, you're going to get the reward at the end of it. The Israelites are going through the wilderness. God has said, soldier on through the wilderness because at the end of this, I've got a promised land for you. The Israelites lost faith in the promise of God. They just didn't think that there actually was a $2 million bank account waiting for them at the end of that journey. And they lost faith in God's promise and they moved into disobedience. Look in verse 16 and 18 of chapter 3. I want to show you this connection between faith and obedience. Verse 16 of chapter 3. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose body fell in the wilderness? Okay, so they rebelled, they sinned. These are the categories for why they fell away. They rebelled and they sinned. And to whom, verse 18, did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? They rebelled, they sinned, they were disobedient. But look what it says in verse 19. So you see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You say, well, which is it? Why didn't they enter? I thought they didn't enter because they rebelled. But then he says they didn't enter because they didn't believe. Those are the same thing, right? Because if you believe, you don't rebel. If you believe that there is a reward at the end, if, if that's the, the guiding star of your life and that there's payout at the end of the journey, then that is faith and that is persevering in obedience. So to believe is to obey and to disbelieve is to disobey. These things go together, which is why, ironically, it might seem, but actually it's not, in verse 11 of our passage, not only do we enter God's rest by faith, but look what it says in verse 11, we also enter into God's rest by striving. We enter into God's rest by striving. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is find an interesting juxtaposition there, isn't it? We, we think of rest as, as just like letting go. And in one sense, that is the reality of what rest is. But the rest that waits for us in the future that God has promised as the reward to all those who persevere, that rest is entered into through striving, through steadying on, through persevering in faith, that when the times get hard and we want to, we want to be disobedient, we want to take the easy way out. We don't because we maintain our faith in the promise of God and we believe that what he has said is true. 
The difficulties on the journey of faith will test the depth of our faith. Do we really believe do we really believe that following Jesus is worth what it will cost? If we do believe, then we keep pressing on in obedience. If we don't believe, we give up and we take the exit ramp of disobedience. So don't give up, the author will say later, and I say it to you this morning, don't give up on the confidence that you had at first in God's promise. Fix your eyes on Jesus, not on the difficulties in front of you. Believe afresh this morning that his promises are true and that his reward is certain and that in faith and in that faith keep persevering on in the journey of faith towards the reward we enter into god's rest his ultimate rest by faith and faith will require us to walk the hard path of obedience in closing let me say a word to those who have yet to trust in christ the author says in verse 8, look what he, back, he says here in verse 8. He says, for if Joshua, so Joshua is the one that took them into the promised land. Eventually, the Israelites, after wandering around the wilderness, killing off the first generation, the second generation is born. They wander around for 40 years, and eventually they enter into the promised land, this promised rest through Joshua. But look what the author says in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. That the rest that God gave his people through Joshua, the rest in the land of promise, that was an earthly rest that was a foreshadowing of the true and lasting rest that Jesus provides. Jesus is the new Joshua that leads us into the promised land, but not the promised land of earthly kingdoms that can only totter and eventually fail, but the promised land of the heavenly kingdom where eternal rest can be found. Perhaps some of you this morning are trying to work your way to God as though your salvation ultimately depended on you. You're relying upon your own provision and your own resources and your own strength to make your way to some ultimate land of promise, maybe some ultimate land that you envision God has held out for you. You think that your own efforts and your actions are the decisive thing that will usher you into the heavenly promised land. And you are depending upon your own spiritual resources rather than on what God has provided for you in Jesus. To depend on yourself is to fall short of the rest that God provides. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are we saved through faith. It's another way of saying that we enter into God's rest through faith. We are saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. God grants eternal rest in Jesus. Rest for sins forgiven, life made new, eternity secured, God has sent Jesus into this world to put to death sin and death, to raise to new life so that he provides for us through Jesus the ultimate bread from heaven to get us through this life into the land of promise.
So if you have not trusted in God for the rest that he provides in Jesus, then let me exhort you in the same words of our author here in verse uh, 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord calling you to enter into his rest, to lay aside your own striving, to, to, to stop trying to find salvation in yourself, if you hear his voice calling you today, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. There is a day coming We end here in verse 12 and 13. There is a day coming when the word of the Lord, which is living and active, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, which pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, from whom no creature is hidden from its sight, and to whom all are naked and exposed. There is a day coming when all will have to give an account to him. And it will be determined in that day whether we found rest in Christ, in the ultimate rest that God provides, or we tried to find rest in ourselves, salvation in ourselves. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord calling you to find rest in Him, don't harden your heart. Reach out to Him and take the hand of grace that is being extended to you. Receive the forgiveness of sins, receive the promise of new life, and receive the hope of eternal life in the age to come. God, we thank you that you've given us rest in Jesus. How exhausting it is to try to be our own sovereigns, our own gods that provide for ourselves. God, forgive us for the times that we have spurned the rest that you would offer when we have hardened our hearts. I pray for those here this morning, Lord, in particular, who need to surrender a certain area of their life to you, that they would acknowledge their own limitations, that they would lay hold of your promises, that they would reach out for help from the body of Christ, that they would find rest in you. I pray, Lord, for those today who have yet to find any rest in you at all, who have been trying to do life on their own, in their own strength, and they have find themselves exhausted this morning. God, may they count it a mercy that you have brought them to the end of themselves so they can lay hold of the rest that is offered to them through your Son, Jesus Christ. May you now, by your Spirit, stir in their hearts to not harden their hearts, but to receive the grace that is extended to them in Christ. God, give us all soft hearts to receive your grace this morning, we pray. Help us to trust in your deep faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.